This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Um, But I'm going to carry on with our Blueprint series, if that's okay. We've been talking for the last about a month or so about the blueprint of the New Testament church. Um, And I just want to carry on with kind of the fifth part this morning. Um, Just to give context again, this whole series has been based upon a very simple definition or a very simple statement um, that we're talking about God's unique design or plan to accomplish a specific task. So how many know that there's great blueprints uh, that are designed by architects for very specific purposes, and if we don't follow as builders what that architect has designed, then we can easily miss what that person has designed for that model, for that home, for that building. And I honestly believe that as we have gotten further and further in our walk with God, the tendency in almost every human being over time is to allow culture to actually seep into our thinking rather than the Word of God. So I think we can all just say this morning, yeah, I've seen that in my own life. I've seen that in my life. I've seen how different times culture starts to seep in and starts to convince us of a thought about God that's true-ish. But not true. Not biblical. Not concrete. Not not anything that you can validate and stand up to the Word of God. And so we talked um, in the first week about this concept of the gospel, the very message of Christ and what it means to us. And it's literally the picture that we talked about was this concept of a newborn being, newborn baby being born into the world. The gospel is literally what brings new birth. The week two, we talked about that little life, that little newborn baby, if you can see it in the natural. Um, the first thing that happens is those a medical community, whether that's the doctor, midwife, nurse, whoever it is, they take that little life and they give it to who? Mommy and daddy, brothers and sisters. They give it to the family. Week two, we talked about the family being really uh, those people that God has called you to be with. The third week, we talked about mom and dad taking that baby and leaving the hospital, going home to their house. And in the biblical context, we're talking about the house of God, which is the local church. I'm so grateful in my life that my mom made a decision many years ago to make a decision for Christ. And one of the first things that she did was get us as her three boys connected to a local church. I can honestly say I am grateful for how much I've been spared because I was in the church. Because people were looking out for me. You know what's always interesting when you're in the church is that your own parents just don't look out for you. Many people somehow become your other mother and your other father and your other grandmother and your other grandpa, and they're looking out for you. Sometimes we don't want them looking out for us, but they do because they love us. Amen? And so I'm grateful for the church. And um, I believe it was two weeks ago we talked about this concept of being a builder, how to build the house of God. Not just to be in the house, but to build the house. How many know that you can tell the difference very quickly between someone who's fully engaged and who's someone who's just there? Right? And so what I wanted to get across with that message is the difference between attending some place and being attached to the life of that place. And so I want to encourage you uh, this morning to be tracking with me into the fifth week today, which is this concept called discipleship, or I'm just titling it today, Disciple. 
Interesting enough, in Scripture, three different times in the New Testament, the word Christian is used. 26 times the word believer is used. 282 times the word disciple is used. God is placing his emphasis and significance on a key thought or a key word this morning. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself made it the mandate of the New Testament church. Matthew 28 gives it away so beautifully. And he literally said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey uh, everything that I've commanded you. This word disciple, just to define it easily for us this morning, I'm going to call it simply this, a devoted learner or a devoted follower. In the entire New Testament, there's two main Greek words that are used when uh, literally uh, translated from the Greek into the uh, English that actually translate disciple. One of the words, and I'll have it on the screen behind me there, um, I'm not even going to attempt to say it, but the first word literally means a learner, pupil, disciple, or follower. The second word is the word student, pupil, scholar, instructor, teacher. What's interesting is that Jesus literally in this one verse gives the entire plan and purpose of the church, each local church, away. For you to be a disciple and for you to make disciples. You know what? It's so easy for pastors today. We don't have to come up with anything new as far as a vision. Live like Jesus, love like Jesus. Be a disciple, make disciples. Sounds good. We don't have to come up with anything fresh. We don't have to, like, you know, go to these uh, special places and say, can you come up with this crazy vision that will just inspire people to our church? You know, if that doesn't work, we'll do scratch and sniff bulletins like we did in the first year. And that didn't work either because we're in the Cineplex. But who cares? We did it anyway. At least in my mind, I did it many times. But Sandra kept saying no. I still feel hindered. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Okay. Oh, thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. But I want you to understand from this concept of discipleship, it's literally all about learning and then passing on what you've learned. That's it. How many know from a parent-to-child perspective, that's literally what we do? The work of our house, yes, it involves cooking and cleaning and putting out the garbage and a whole bunch of other things that oftentimes we don't like to do. But at the core element of each house represented here this morning is for those that have gone through the journey longer than the other ones, is there to help encourage and train those people up to become the best person possible, not just within the house, but every time they leave the house. We often say as parents that, that you know, we, we're supposed to love everyone, but we want to train up our children not to be loved, but to be liked. You know what I'm saying? We all love them, of course. How many have ever come up to somebody at church because this is how you're trained and you don't really like them, and you go, I love you with the love of the Lord. Jesus smite them right now with a sword. And of course, we would never admit that we ever sing those songs in our mind, but we do. Right? I'm getting the looks. I can feel it. All right. Okay. But I want you to understand that's the core element of every house is to train up your children so that when they have their own house, they'll know what to do. They'll take care of their own children. They'll 
instill values that are, are values that would represent our family name. You know what's awesome is this house is not based upon your last name or my last name, but on the name of Jesus. And so the values of this house are the values of heaven. So when we pray heaven on earth, it comes with a whole new twist when we think of it in the context of impact. Heaven on earth, Jesus' values, his home values in our home, our house. Amen? There's an interesting concept that Luke chapter 6 verse 40 kind of gives away about discipleship. It says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Think Star Wars. All right, if you've never seen Star Wars, talk to Austin and Zoe, and they can take you through the uh, seven-step program in books on, on, um, on Star Wars, um, right from the beginning, right through, including the Clone Wars. So hey, you can get a full scope on everything you need to know, and if you, once you get done with them, then come talk to me, and I'll tell you exactly how much I hated The Last Jedi. Give me a beat, at least two hours. I need at least two hours to express how much I hated Star Wars number eight. Anyhow, coming back to this point. Key thought number one with this verse. A disciple is always identified with his teacher. As a father, I see some really cool moments where my kids walk out things that Sandra and I do. And then there's other moments that I wish I didn't see because it reminds me of me in another way. How many have ever seen your kids act out the little misbehavings of yourself in ways that you wish you never saw and that you pray never happened publicly? Come on. Okay, I've had too many public moments with my children to be very careful from this point on what I do and say anywhere. Um, anyhow, amen, all the guys said amen, all right. The key thought number two is that their world, the world of a disciple, revolved around their teacher's world. Not around theirs, but around their teachers, around the person that was pouring in. Um, Dallas Willard, <laughs> he can't, I love this quote. I saw this this past week, and it just struck a chord in me, and he says this, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I love that. I'm going to say it again. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Live like Jesus. Love like Jesus. That's it, in a nutshell. 1 John 2.6, it says this whole, really it says our vision perfectly. It says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. He's our example. He's our Jedi master, if I can say it, Star Wars. Okay? He is everything to us. Amen? It's interesting right now, I don't know if you guys have really been tracking along with, you know, stuff that's gone through kind of the church world in the last 20 years, but there is a massive emphasis in the church world right now on leadership. You can go to leadership conferences, you can go to leadership uh, workshops, you can read a thousand different books, literally a million different books on church leadership. The significance of leadership, what it looks like, how you're supposed to, you know, be a leader. And here's what's very interesting about Jesus. Jesus blows this theory right out of the water. And he basically comes down and he says, 
you know what, I'm not going to teach you how to be a great leader. I'm going to teach you how to be a great follower because great followers know how to lead. So Jesus isn't interested as much in leadership. Now, I do believe that we need to train people in leadership. That's all good. We need to do that. But Jesus is more interested, if I can make up an English word that's never existed before in the world today until now. He's more interested in followership than he is leadership. I said, the pastor just used a word that's not in the English language. It's okay. So does everyone else. All right? Just look at some people's Twitter account, and you'll know what I mean. Okay. Hey, all right. All right. Moving right along. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, it says this. Then Jesus said to them, follow me. Say, follow me. Say, follow me. All right. And I will make you to become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. They heard the call. They responded to the call, they received the call, and they literally left everything in a moment. Now, leaving everything I get, leaving everything in a moment, I struggle with. Because if I'm being honest, I don't know if I could have done that. I hope I would have. But how many have ever looked at some of the stuff that the disciples have done and you go, I'm so glad that I wasn't one of the twelve and Jesus looked at me and said, okay, it's your turn. I'd be like, um... I think Judas needs a little more work, Jesus. I think you just need to work on him. Yeah, let him do that again. He needs to just keep trying. He hasn't quite got it yet. I'll come after him, right? And that's what we often think. But it's literally about, as a disciple, followership. Follow me. It's committing to a new way of life, a new way of learning, and a new way or a new process of growth. That is the heart of God for us this morning, I want you to help me out this morning with uh, just a little, a little thing that I came up with. All right, you ready? You ready? I need audience participation. Okay, but you can stay seated so that, because if you stand up and probably walk, you'll faint. So we don't want that. I want you to fill in the blank for me. All right. If it ain't broke, all right, that's good. If the shoe fits, if you can't stand the heat. Or in this case, get out of the gym. All right. Okay. But we're going to stay a little bit longer just so we can get to the end of this message because I'm sure I'm going to say something interesting that you'll take home and tweet for the rest of the week. All right. I want you to understand that in the natural, in the English language, what I'm actually using is something called a conjunction. It's drawing two thoughts together. That, that first thought's impressive, but it's always connected to the second thought. It's a joiner. It's a connector. It places the responsibility on the person to take action in order to move the situation from possibility to reality. So if the only thing you have is the first part and you don't have the next clue or the next command, then you're going to be stuck in that first part. And I don't know about you, but too many Christians, including myself, get stuck in the first part. Amen? I want you to look at a key verse that uses a conjunction that just ties in discipleship perfectly for us today. It's kind of a bit of a, bit of a downer verse, but it's powerful. Because I want you to track with me this morning. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 24, it said, Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, there's the first part, and here comes the conjunction, and here comes the rest. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, I want to give context to this verse just so you understand the story, what's happening, who the characters are in the story, 
and literally what has preceded the story. So there's a group of people that have been following Jesus. The the inference from the, the book of Luke is that these are people that are continuously following him. So in the last two chapters, this is what they saw Jesus do. Are you ready for this? Okay. Peter's mother-in-law was healed, the lepers were cleansed, the crippled were healed, a withered hand was restored, demons were cast out, a storm supernaturally calmed, a daughter raised from the dead, 5,000 people fed from a boy's lunch, Jesus walking on the water, and a blind man healed. That's what they saw. And here's the conclusion Jesus came to when he started this verse in Luke chapter 9. His conclusion to them was, admiring miracles doesn't make you a follower. That's the conclusion he came to. You guys have been admiring what I've been doing for the last couple of chapters here, which probably in in actual time was probably two weeks, three weeks, a month maybe, maybe two months. You've been observing all of these incredible things, but he's literally saying admirers of miracles doesn't make you a follower. I don't even say one step further that inquiring about how he did those miracles doesn't make you a follower. Responding to Jesus is the first step, but to be a follower, he literally says, if you want to be my disciple, step one, deny me. Right? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this quote. He says, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. I agree completely. Powerful, powerful thought. I want to talk to you this morning very briefly about five choices that fully devoted disciples or fully devoted followers make in their life on the steps and the process of of becoming like that learner, like the master. Um, First one is this. I'm going to call it the I'm all in choice. The I'm all in choice. In other words, no reservations. There's absolutely no reservations. Luke 14 verses 33 says, so likewise... Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Interesting in this passage, he actually says it a couple verses before, where he says, if you love your parents, your mother, your father, your brothers and sisters more than me, you can't be my disciple. I've always read that and I went, but God, I thought you were for family. And you know what he's saying? Family can actually be the distraction for you from going one step further in your walk with God. That doesn't mean we... Leave them in the dust and move on from them. But what it means is that there's going to be a tug of war sometimes when certain people in your family or certain people in your friend circle are not tracking where you're tracking. Sometimes the most difficult thing I've ever had to go through in my life is when I had to make a decision. I'm either going to track with Jesus or I'm going to stay in this group of friends and I can guarantee you where I'm going to be 10 years from now if those are my friends. And interestingly enough, I've reconnected with a couple in the last five years, and it breaks my heart to hear where they're at. They're struggling still 20 years later. It breaks my heart. And I had one conversation with one guy over the phone, and I literally said, I love you, man, but can I give you one piece of advice? Find the most godly people you can and hang out with them. Even if you drive them crazy. Because they will get on you, and you'll become like them. Hang out with those that are tracking with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, so the idea that Jesus was trying to convey with this thought here is that 
Anyone coming to Jesus with less than a total commitment will find it almost impossible to sustain it. Think about this in the natural. Think about a project you do at work. Think about a school project. Think about something that you are assigned to do, whether through maybe even just a project at home. If your heart is not fully convinced of doing that thing, guess what will happen? All of the stuff that you poured out of your garage in hopes of cleaning your garage out will be on your driveway for the next month. If you are not fully committed to the project at hand, amen? Can I get a witness? Right? How many have started something only to see 15 projects started and you haven't finished any of them? Right. So I'm just saying it's a very natural principle. This isn't anything weird or anything difficult. It's a natural principle. If you're not fully engaged with what you're committing to, it'll be next to impossible for you to sustain that over the long haul. You may be able to pull that off for a short season, but not for the long haul. Do you know what I'm saying? You can be willing, but not able. Okay? But you do have a choice. And so what he's literally talking about is make the choice. Make the choice. Choose Jesus. Put him first. Choose Jesus. Best choice you'll ever make. Take it from someone who chose other things and then finally chose Jesus. It's so much better to choose Jesus. It's so much better. If you ever want to hear stories of how your life doesn't go so well when you didn't choose Jesus and hear all of the things that I've done wrong, just invite me out for, you know, what what should you invite me out to? How about the keg for a steak? That's a great idea. I don't know where I came up with that one. Anyhow, if you want to invite me to the keg for a nice steak, I can tell you for three hours all the things that I have done wrong when I tried to put self on the throne of my life. But the moment I said, Jesus, I want you on the throne, and I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, my life changed dramatically. And I'm not necessarily want to limit it to one thing, but this beauty queen here on the front row was one of the biggest evidences of my life choice at that time. And she showed up not too long after. I don't know where I'd be without her. But I'll tell you, when you make the right choice, there's a trail of blessing that just suddenly takes over your life. Have you ever get to the point where God's blessing is just chasing you? That's how I feel. And I can honestly say, before I laid my life down and put Jesus on the throne, it always felt like I was chasing blessing in order to feel a sense of purpose and fulfillment in my life. If I just had that next thing, if I just got that next uh, promotion, if I just graduated with that school and that degree, if I just, if I just, if I just, if I just, the moment I said, Jesus, you're on the throne, guess what happened? He starts chasing me everywhere. Everywhere. I can't, like, honestly, I, I, some days I'm just like, Lord, aren't you tired? of just chasing after me? He goes, no, it's an endless pursuit. I love it. And that's the thing that God wants you to get today, is yes, yes, it's a tough choice to say, I'm all in. Yes, it's a tough choice to say, no more reservations. But the reward is mind-blowing. The reward is mind-blowing. The second thought is this. The deny yourself choice. It's a choice to say, I have no rivals. Not just no reservations, I have no rivals. Jesus, you have no rivals. There's no one taking your place. 
It says, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. The message Bible says this, has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat anymore. I love that version. That's awesome. The more we say yes to Jesus, the more we're going to look like Jesus. The more we say yes to self, the more we're going to look like guess who? And you know what? Some of us look better than others, but you know what? Even that doesn't matter because there's only so much we can do in ourselves. My heart's desire as a disciple of Christ is to be so consumed with Jesus that when people hear me, look at me, see me, do anything around me, the only person they see is Jesus. And what sometimes that upsets me is that there's, I know times when people don't see Jesus, they see me, and I don't like that. Because you know what I've come to realize? There's only so much I can do to help. But if I'm in Christ, everything's possible. Amen? Colossians 3.3, this is my heart's cry many years ago. It says, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. How many know that a dead person cannot complain? We know that the natural, but as a believer, if we are dead in Christ, then the only thing we got left is the voice of God. Someone posted a tweet a couple weeks ago, and it struck a chord to me because I was having one of those days where there was a couple complaints coming out of the side of my mouth. How many of you have ever had those days? And there was a tweet, and I, and I read it, and it was from a friend of mine in ministry, and he, I don't know, it was almost like God supernaturally just you know, made that tweet just there for me to hear and to, to actually read. And it said this, the only thing that complaining does is prove you can hear the voice of Satan. And I was like, but, but God is love. God's supposed to love me. Right? Have you ever been there? And I realized I have, I have a choice here. The rival sometimes for us is not just our own voice or our own opinion, but sometimes the rival is the enemy's voice trying to take us away from God's voice. So we have to make a decision as disciple. No rivals to the voice of God. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm denying myself. I'm denying the enemy's voice to speak into my situation. No rivals. Number three, the take up your cross choice. And I love this. I'm going to say it's no refusals. T. Austin Spark said this, we have not to die, we are dead. What we have to do is to accept our death. In Christ and in water baptism, little plug for July 15th for those that want to, okay. Um, we simply step into the water and say, that position which God has settled with reference to me is the one which I now accept. And I testify here in this way to the fact that I have accepted God's position for me, namely, that in the cross I have been brought to an end. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So, I hereby declare July 1st, not only Canada Day, but Death to Selfie Day. All right? Or Death to Self, depending on how often you use your phone. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Galatians 5.24, the message version says this. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for our good, crucified. That is the heart of God. Number four, the follow me choice. In other words, no retreat. 
No looking back. Right? How many times have we made a decision, whether it's financial, relational, job-wise, and the moment we make the decision, everything inside of us is saying, what did you just do? You're crazy. And then the only thing you start to do is you're looking back and thinking about how can I undo what I just did? Right? Am I the only one? No, okay. So I want you to understand that no rival says there's no voice that's going to speak to that. But no refusals is saying, I'm going for it no matter what. I'm not looking back. I'm not listening to what's behind me. I'm going to literally move forward into what God's called me to no matter what. Amen? Following Jesus means we believe in him. We believe in his word. We believe in his will. We believe in his character. We believe in his commands. And we want to follow him and surrender our wills to his. Amen? Number five. The lose your life choice. No regrets. No regrets. I can honestly say that there are things in my natural life where I've made choices that were not God honoring. I have regrets over. Thankfully, God's healed it and I feel I'm fine. But those are the things I have regrets about. Never once have I had a regret about choosing to follow Jesus. Never. No regrets. We trade our lesser life for his greater life. Hmm. C.S. Lewis in the book Mere Christianity said it like this. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Love that. Followership reveals who we put first. It's okay this morning. I want to end with a story. And I want you to just, not just hear the story from the natural perspective, but I want you right now to just pray right where you're at and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what you want to say to me this morning through this story. Father, just reveal your heart through this story this morning. Help us to see ourselves and in you in a greater context. In Jesus' name. I'm going to talk about an illustration. I'm going to read this story about monkeys. This is actually a true story. The story is told of an expedition of scientists who were on a mission to capture a particular species of monkeys in the jungles of Africa. It was important that the monkeys be brought back alive and unharmed. Using their knowledge of monkey ways, the scientists devised a trap consisting of a small jar with a long, narrow neck. Into the jar was placed a handful of peanuts. Several of these jars were staked out while the scientists returned to their camp, confident of catching the monkeys. Scenting the nuts in the bottle, the monkey would thrust his paw into the long neck and take a fistful of nuts. But when he tried to withdraw the prize, he discovered that his clenched fist would not pass through the narrow neck of the bottle. So he was trapped in the anchored bottle, unable to escape with his loot, and yet unwilling to let it go. When the scientists returned, they easily took the monkeys captive. 
The entire story of discipleship is this story. We get caught holding on to something God wants us to let go. And as a result, we can't go anywhere. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, what do you have your hands on in the bottle? Maybe it's your, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a financial goal or dream. Maybe it's a sense of purpose. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's this, it could be anything. I have no idea. Maybe it's pride. And you're holding on for dear life because you don't want to, you don't want to just swallow your pride to see what the freedom is like outside of the bottle. I believe everyone this morning has got a tendency in our lives that we reach for. And the enemy can only keep us as long as we hold on. But this morning, I want you to let go. If you've got to go home tonight and put on Frozen and sing the song over and over and over again, if that is what you've got to do in order to get free, be my guest. Oh, sorry, that's another Disney movie. Anyhow, um, uh, it was there. It was there. I, I couldn't help myself. Whatever you've got to do. If you can't figure out what it is this morning, I want you to find those that you love dearly and that love you dearly. And I want you to have a conversation with them this week. And I want you to sit down with them. And I want, I want you to say, maybe that's to your husband or your wife or to a, a dear friend, what do you think it is for me? Because I want to let you know this morning, I was stuck for the first 22 years of my life. Partly because I didn't know why I, what I was hanging on to and partly because I was too afraid to let it go. But I didn't even know what it was half the time. But someone came into my life People came into my life that said, Cameron, it's okay to let it go. Someone had sent a picture a number of years ago, and it's always struck, it just struck a chord with me. A little picture, and it's literally Jesus kneeling down in front of a little girl that has this precious tiny little teddy bear that is so beat up. It's fraying at the edges, and it's just coming apart, and he's reaching out his hand to see if this little girl would give Jesus this little beat-up teddy bear that she's held on to. And in behind his other hand is like a six-foot-tall teddy bear. Big one, just for her. But it's a simple question, can you let it go in order to receive what God has for you? Discipleship is not about learning how to lead your own life well. Discipleship is learning how to follow well how to obey well, how to surrender well. What do you got in your hand that's stuck in your jar? I think God wants you to let it go today. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 